0: This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G O M O T O.com.
1: Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer 20% off a one year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, November 27th, 2023.
2: I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Magnus Steyr lands a record vehicle development contract. The VW brand eyes job cuts and GM's crew sets out some less ambitious goals. Plus, UNIFOR President Lana Payne reflects on the unusual labor negotiations of 2023.
3: This is a a really interesting, extraordinary time to be bargaining for workers, and that was definitely true of what we experienced uh, through auto bargaining this year as well.
2: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry.
1: Magna International's Magna Steyr division is expected to develop new vehicles for Volkswagen Group's Scout brand, according to a report. The company is reviving the iconic Scout brand to boost its sales in North America, with production of electric-powered pickups and SUVs expected to begin by the end of 2026. VW has given Magnus Steyr an order worth almost half a billion dollars to develop the models, the Austrian newspaper Kleine Zeitung reported, citing sources familiar with the matter. Magnus Steyr is best known as a contract manufacturer. It builds the Mercedes-Benz G-Class and other models in Graz, Austria. The Scout project is Magnus Steyr's
2: biggest development contract to date, the paper said. Volkswagen Group's namesake brand is looking to save 10 billion euros, almost $11 billion. And that's going to include headcount reductions, managers told staff today. VW brand chief Thomas Schaefer cited high costs and low productivity, adding, quote, we are no longer competitive as the Volkswagen brand. The automaker is in the midst of negotiations with its works council over cost cutting at the brand, which is the first step in a group-wide drive to boost efficiency in the transition to electric cars. The company had previously pledged that it would not carry out dismissals until 2029 relying instead on the demographic curve to reduce its workforce. But in Monday's meeting, Human Resources board member Gunnar Killian said reductions would be achieved through agreements on partial or early retirement. He added that the bulk of the savings would come from measures other than personnel reduction. The full plan is to take shape by the end of the year. Stellantis
1: CEO Carlos Tavares is making contingency plans should key elections in the US and Europe reduce projections for growth in electric vehicle sales. Stellantis may have to change its strategy, quote, if political and public opinion tends toward fewer EVs, Tavares told Automotive News affiliate Automobile Voca on the sidelines of a press conference at the Mirafori plant in Turin. He did not specify what consequences a reversal in CO2 regulation in Europe or the U.S. would have for Stellantis, a Stellantis spokesperson told Automotive News Europe that the automaker is sticking with its Dare Forward 2030 plan for 100% of its sales
2: in Europe and 50% in the U.S. to be full electric models. And General Motors robo-taxi company Cruise made sweeping changes to its plans last week in the wake of a safety crisis that has halted operations and thrown the unit's future into question. The company had already deployed or planned to launch its robo-taxis in more than a dozen cities. It's now aiming to resume operations in one city, though it did not say which one or when that would be. The company said in a statement, the resumption of service will follow actions to improve Cruises' safety culture and rebuild trust. California regulators indefinitely suspended its driverless permits last month, leading crews to implement a national pause in operations. Last week, its two founding executives, Kyle Vogt and Daniel Kahn, announced their departures. In addition, GM has delayed full-scale production of the cruise origin robotaxi, opting to stick with autonomous vehicles based on the Chevrolet Bolt EV. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, is VW's cost-cutting move related to their decision to outsource development of the Scout vehicles? Maybe not directly, uh,
1: but it does seem like the company has maybe lost a little confidence in its ability to quickly, you know, develop and launch EVs that are profitable. I think it's also probably significant in the efforts to maintain control over how Scouts are sold. U.S. VW dealers really want to be able to sell those vehicles. They argue that you know they've been lobbying for a long time that VW needs off-road capability, needs to have a pickup, and now they're seeing these vehicles come out of the company. By having them developed by Magna Steyr, it kind of puts a separation between them and says, hey, Scout is a separate standalone thing, really has nothing to do with Volkswagen. It's not like these are based on the Atlas or some existing VW vehicle. We'll see how that plays out, but I do think it plays a role.
2: Gotcha, coming up, Unifor President Lana Payne reflects on the union's negotiations with the Detroit 3. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality
4: is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral
2: imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary
1: possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that.
4: Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels.
1: I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM
4: believes in an all-electric future, and I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is
1: is like, but but we
4: we don't. Spoiler alert! They came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News executive editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lien. Gomoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit Gomoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. For the first time in decades, the Detroit Automakers' negotiations with the UAW coincided with those with Unifor, the union that represents Canadian auto workers. While the UAW under President Sean Fain threw out traditional bargaining patterns and ruffled feathers with his confrontational approach, Unifor, led by President Lana Payne, followed a more standard strategy and came back with similarly strong results. Payne spoke about the talks with our colleague, Greg Layson at Automotive News Canada. Here's part of their conversation.
4: Lana, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week.
3: Thanks for having me, Greg.
4: It's great to get you on. Congratulations on the three deals with the Detroit Three automakers. I have to ask, how are you feeling now that they are wrapped up?
3: oh my gosh it's been a marathon that's for sure uh we we started bargaining way back in august as you know because you follow this closely uh I would say I'm, I'm very uh, proud of the work that our bargaining teams did. Uh, of course, we have elected leadership from all of our plants who make up our, our three master uh, bargaining committees, and uh, they were exceptional and outstanding uh, through this entire uh, period. And as we know, this is a, a really interesting, extraordinary time to be bargaining for workers. And that was definitely true of what we experienced uh, through auto bargaining this year as well.
4: Yeah, let's expand on that a little bit. We've had labor experts tell us that perhaps uh, in no time in recent memory anyway, has labor and the workforce uh, wielded this much power? Did you get that sense in these contract talks that this was the moment to make gains and that you might not be in this position again anytime soon? I just wonder what that was like.
3: I would absolutely agree with that, that this was a moment that uh, we saw a window. Uh, We knew our members' expectations were extremely high, Greg. Uh, We also knew, uh, you know, the the, the general economics uh, that we're facing in the world, whether that's a a bit of a tighter labor market, whether it is the fact that, you know, people are dealing with a cost of living crisis, particularly here in Canada. We've called it an affordability crisis. And uh, you know, interest rates have been increasing rapidly. All of these things. Uh, factored into uh, and spilled over uh, onto the bargaining table. And, you know, we felt uh, that this was a, a good time if you throw in the profits uh, that, that the Detroit Three were also uh, earning. Uh, it gave us a moment to really look at how we could improve uh, these collective agreements across the board, uh, not just one key uh, feature uh, to try and make an improvement on. We were looking at trying to do comprehensive improvements across across the entire collective agreement from pensions, wages, obviously investments, which is something that's always critical during bargaining, but also between rounds of bargaining. And then finally for us, uh, this massive transition that we're going through and transformation uh, in the industry uh, was for us and at Uniform meant that we had to be making sure we were negotiating, you know, supports and uh, transition uh, income security uh, for our members during these uh, massive retooling periods. Uh, so, yeah, we were we knew we had a big job to do. And uh, I, I was, as I say, really, really proud of the work of our committees uh, through this entire period.
4: I'm curious, you kind of touched on this just a moment ago. The demographics are different at every automaker. Each workforce is different, and particularly GM in Oshawa, where the plant was idled for a year, came back with new hires, much younger workforce. What's it like trying to keep enough members happy to approve each and every pattern and just walk me through how you approach that hurdle of perhaps an older workforce at Ford versus the younger workforce at GM and then Stellantis kind of falls in the middle what's that process like for you and those at the bargaining table how do you keep everyone happy and and get the deal
3: passed Absolutely. Well, we told the automakers on August 10th that this would have to be the best agreement that we'd ever negotiated with them. Uh, that was the moment we were in, and, and no one should take it for granted. We certainly were not uh, taking it for granted. It It is a challenge. There's no doubt about it. When you were trying to achieve, Greg, as much as we were trying to achieve, we knew we had to do something on pensions. Uh, because we hadn't seen pension improvements in, in some cases, 15 years or longer in, in these agreements. And, you know, for the most part, big corporations uh, like the automakers had really written pensions off. They just figured they never had to negotiate these again. And and we knew that that was, not, that was not acceptable to our membership and it wasn't acceptable to our union. On the wage package, of course, we had to do well. And of course, when you look at you know, uh, the the younger workforce, it was really about these agreements being almost transitional in the sense that we had to, to use these agreements as an opportunity to build more fair fairer and uh, more equal workplaces. And, and that, it speaks to what you've been saying around uh, the younger workforce, for example, at Oshawa. Uh, I mean, in 2012, the, the new hire program was negotiated for all the reasons that we know. The industry was in a in a very bad place. And uh, you know, we were trying to save plants here in Canada. And one of the ways we did that uh, was, was through that new hire program. And then over time, uh, we reduced uh, what what is the progression grid Uh, from what was over uh, 10 years to down to eight and and this was a priority for us in this round of bargaining as it was for the UAW to to reduce that progression grid and knowing full well that this was clearly going to help uh, the younger workers but when we come out of this Agreement three years from now, uh, these agreements will be less divisive than they than they were in the past uh, because people uh, will be treated more equally under them. But we had to get through this first in order to to get to that period, and uh, and for sure it was having to take into account all of all of the different uh, demands and needs and uh, as you know we put them under four key categories from pensions to the wage package to ev support and uh, and income support and of course investments and uh, all of all of the the demographics was one thing, but it was also the situation that some of these automakers were in. Some were going to be uh, where we had plants going through major retools, and so for the Ford bargaining, which is where we set the pattern, they had to think about not just what it was required of their membership, but also setting the pattern for the next two, and and that meant. Uh, you know, really thinking about uh, the younger membership at GM. That had to be in their in their minds as well, uh, because we knew that we'd have to do something uh, with Ford that was was going to be able to serve the test of time uh, in terms of having a pattern with the other two. And uh, that first first Ford committee uh, did some very heavy lifting here.
4: Let me ask you then about the other side of that age coin, if you will. What do you say to workers with 25, 30 years? seniority who say their current pension isn't good enough and that's why they voted no and they accuse Unifor of not doing enough to improve it what is your message to those who voted no and there was a large number that voted no at Ford and not as many that voted no at Stellantis but still enough that I would think you maybe want to say something to them what do you say
3: yeah i've actually talked to a number of our members around the pension issue as well i went to a number of our ratification meetings uh, greg so i have had Uh, you know, uh, big group conversations and one-on-one conversations with our members. And, you you know, a a collective agreement is never really about getting every single thing. And what I've tried to say is we need to look at the agreement in its entirety and, and the level of comprehensive changes that were there, including, you know, what was done uh, with wages, which of course, has a big impact on pensions as well going forward. Um, and and that you know this is three years, and we have time, uh, we were able to we were able to prove in this round of bargaining that we can negotiate pensions, and we're going to continue to negotiate pensions. For our members. Uh, we actually, you know, had a huge success here in finally getting uh, the D3 to recognize that we can have a DB uh, defined benefit style pension plan again, uh, to the point where, you know, we even had the White House calling about uh, this DB style plan and, and trying to figure out uh, with our research team how did you come up with this idea and how does it work in Canada? And is this something that we can replicate uh, in the United States? So I think it's it's incredibly important important that we look at collective agreements in their entirety. And of course, I know uh, that our members, uh, particularly those closer to retirement, would have liked to have seen a lot more in pensions. And it's difficult at the best of times uh, to negotiate, uh, you know, significant improvements, although I would say the improvements here have been good, very good. But when you look at uh, trying to make up lost ground for 15 years, uh, it's, it's a very tough thing to do in the pension world.
1: Lana Payne is president of the Canadian Union Unifor. She spoke with Greg Lason of our sibling
2: publication, Automotive News Canada. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Pete Bigelow and Michael Knauer of our sibling publication, Automobile Voca, for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on EV development, corporate restructurings, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Nikola CEO
1: Steve Gursky. With the voucher program in California, we have 96%
4: of all the vouchers for fuel cell trucks and 50% of the vouchers for battery trucks. So there's certainly demand for what we do, and uh, we're excited to be on the front end of it.
1: If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.